you've got your Bibles, and uh, if you've got your notes, <clears throat> you can get those out or you can turn your Bibles on, open them up, however you like. Uh, we have made it to this Parsha uh, reading, which is uh, Tetzavah, which means you shall command. Once again, these sections of Scripture are gathered together around a concept, uh, and that concept or thought is usually found in the first section uh, of, the, uh, of the Torah reading uh, for the week. And so we're going to be covering really Exodus verses, uh, chapter 27, starting with verse 20. It goes through uh, chapter 30, uh, verse 10. There are some things in here that, <clears throat> once again, I it constantly uh, am amazed of uh, the, the level that God goes through to paint a picture for us on what... Uh, hear what he was going to do, but now we're able to look back at what he did, which is really uh, beautiful with uh, Yeshua and how he fulfilled so many of these uh, things here. So in verse uh, 20 of chapter 27, uh, let me read this. It says, you shall command the people of Israel that they bring to you pure beaten olive oil for the light that a lamp may regularly be set up to burn. In the tent of meeting, outside the veil that is before the testimony, Aaron and his son shall tend to it from evening and morning before the Lord. It shall be a statute forever to be observed throughout their generations by the people of Israel. So this is where this uh, title comes from here at the very beginning where it says, You shall command... And here's what's interesting in this section. He goes, you shall command the people of Israel to bring you pure beaten olive oil. So this is the oil that's going to go in the menorah. We'll get to the placement of that in the tabernacle here in a minute. But um, the tabernacle hasn't been built yet. The menorah hasn't. The, Moses is still up on the mountain. He's getting these uh, instructions. And... He, he says, you're to bring me this pure beaten olive oil for the lamp. Um, the lamp was the only light inside the holy place. Then there's the veil and the holy of holies. So it's the seven-branched menorah uh, lampstand that was approximately, you know, this high, if you will, and it was to be made out of gold. Uh, but the key here is this oil. The oil that's supposed to keep this area lit up is to come from these olives, and it's the first droplets that come out of the select best olives and it's the, it's the first droplets that come out of these olives that are beaten. They're, they're beaten and crushed. Remember what it says in Isaiah that he was bruised and crushed for our iniquities? Um, that Jesus, it says that he is what? He's the light of the world. Uh, he is the reason uh, that we have an opportunity to come before the Lord. And we're going to see that here in a minute that's just absolutely incredible. 
But it says that the, this lamp, that this is the type oil that is to light it. Not just any kind of oil. Does that olive have more oil in it? Of course it does. Um, that oil that's still in the olive uh, ends up being used for cooking and medicinal purposes and all other kinds of things. But the, uh, the oil that's used to light the menorah is the first oil. It's the initial droplets that come out. It's called the purest part of the oil that comes out of that olive. And it's those first droplets that come out of that olive when it is first beaten and crushed uh, before it's really squeezed later to get every drop out of it. Uh, the first oil that comes out of it is the oil that brings light, um, which is exactly what Jesus did. Amen. It's absolutely amazing. Here's what's interesting. As we go through this section of Scripture, it's still talking a lot about the tabernacle, but there's a shift in here towards Aaron and his sons and what he's supposed to do, um, and he's to be consecrated, what he's supposed to wear and everything, and how he is consecrated. And it's in that picture that the, it's, it's absolutely amazing. Uh, of what he had them to do to consecrate him uh, to be the high priest for the people of Israel and subsequently his sons and those that would follow. Look at what it says here in uh, the next chapter. It says in Exodus 28 verse 2, I want to read this and then we want to pray together. It says, um, and you shall make holy garments for Aaron your brother. Look at this. It says, for glory... And for beauty. The picture that is about to be unfolded for us here is that number one, I believe what it's saying is that the oil that's gonna light this holy place is coming from none other than Yeshua our Savior. And that He is also our high priest. But God has also called us to be what? A kingdom of priests a holy nation, a people belonging to God, uh, to be a light to the world, and that we're to let our light so shine that people will see our good works and glorify our Father in heaven. And so <clears throat> this is going to be Aaron and the subsequent high priest after him. This is what he's supposed to wear when he comes before God. Now, I'm not saying that we are high priests, but we are priests, right? Therefore, when we come before God, should we come before Him with our second best or with our very best? Exactly. We should come before Him with our very best. Um, everything about us. We should present ourselves before the Lord with the best that we can. Not to glory in our own goodness or whatever, but because He's God and He deserves our best. Amen? Um, I, think that, I think that should encompass every single aspect of our lives. That's why it says, in everything you do, whether word or deed, you do it all to the glory of God. So I think it encompasses the way we dress, the way we act, the way we talk, the way we drive. 
the way we come before Him, watch this, in worship. We should come before Him with our best, not our second best. Um, and so based on that, I want to pray and ask that God would just be with us this morning and help us look at this, uh, help us uh, to try to incorporate uh, what these scriptures are saying into our lives, to take this personal uh, and to work at presenting ourselves before the Lord, not only when we come corporately for worship, but every day with our very best, with the best that we have. So join with me as we pray together. Heavenly Father, <clears throat> Lord uh, Yahovah, the creator of, of the universe, Lord, we pray that you would bless us here today with your presence. We, you would forgive us for our shortcomings, uh, our sins, our, our stuff. Uh, God, you would help us to be more cognizant of your presence in our lives and your desire for us to be a light in a dark place. Um, your desire for us to be a kingdom of priests before you uh, and to serve you uh, with dignity uh, and honor and glory, Lord, because that's what you deserve. Uh, and so, Lord, we pray that um, you would bless us and help us, and we pray, pray, Lord, that everything that we do here today, Lord, that it would honestly bring glory and honor to your name. And we pray all this in Yeshua's name. Amen. So <clears throat> it says that this is what you're going to do. You're going you're gonna to make these holy garments for Aaron, and it's going to be for glory and for beauty. I like what uh, Zach was telling us about working in a team sport and something was, you know, it's about uh, the uniform. Uh, the uniform is important because it signifies who is who, what team you're on. Um, and... It's, a, it's, a, it's, it's also usually will carry some kind of insignia more than just colors or whatever uh, so that you know who belongs to who, right? Uh, and so this is connected to what God said when he says, uh, you're to live this way because you're mine. It's, a, it's another symbol or uh, um, statement, not only just of allegiance, but this, this is who I am. Um, if you will, my, my last name, I'm, I'm birthed through what Yeshua did for me. So I'm part of the kingdom of God. The scriptures in the New Testament say that we've been given the right to literally partake of the very nature of God. Oh, my goodness. Uh, and so the fullness of the Godhead dwells in Yeshua, and he dwells in us. My goodness. So we're part of this kingdom. So in verses 4 and 5, it says... These are the garments that you shall make. So you might want to underline these uh, because they all have a specific um, element. It says you shall make a breast piece, an ephod, a robe, a coat, a, a, a coat of checkerwork, a turban, and a sash. They shall make holy garments for Aaron, your brother, and his sons to serve me as priest. They shall receive gold, blue, and purple, and scarlet yarns, and fine twined linen. Now, I've got this picture 
that I pulled off the internet, and it's even using some of these verses here. This is from the, uh, the Temple Institute. Uh, feel free to go home and Google that and check them out. These are, there's a few groups over there that are working to rebuild and to make this. And these garments are actually already made. Uh, and they have uh, the utensils and things for the new temple that are already made. Uh, but this was, um, anyhow, this is on the internet. And this, I thought this one really clearly depicts what is described here. Because if you just Google a picture for the high priest and his garments, you're going to get a number of different uh, versions of it. But I thought this one uh, really depicts it so much better. You ever seen any of the pictures where the, uh, and we're told that the ephod is this breast piece section and it's this big piece of metal, you know, it's got these stones in it. Well, that's not what the scriptures we're going to see here in just a minute. That's not what it says. It's to look like this. Well, the ephod, if you'll look on your picture, if you can, you can see where it points to this section. It's, it's girded his chest area. Uh, that's the ephod, the part that's underneath. You following me? Uh, the breast piece is this part in the front of it that has the 12 stones on it that's woven just like the ephod, okay? But what it says here, it says you're going to receive gold, blue, purple, and scarlet yarns and fine twined linen. And what they literally did, they beat threads of gold to be woven into this stuff. This was beautiful. And as a matter of fact, God literally put the spirit of skill on his people to do this. They're, these are attendants, if you will, in God's court on earth. So the creator of the universe that does these unbelievable things like I'm learning all kinds of things with sheep. You know, when I'm out there at five in the morning and in the rain and birthing lambs, literally helping pull and never done this. And I'm almost in tears looking at this going, God, you're amazing. This is, this is just unreal. Gave me a new, <laughs> a new perspective on the term shepherd uh, while I'm out there doing that. And so... Uh, this God that we serve, Yahweh Himself, that is so miraculous and so into detail. Uh, and I'm watching these lambs, they're crawling, they're trying to get up on their all fours, can't even get up on all fours, and they're going right back to the back of mama. 15 minutes old. Came out of an environment that was about 100 degrees and the one that's raining and cold. They're covered in mud and everything else and crawling to get back to, to mama. Nobody had to tell them to do that. That God already put it in them. They just start crawling to get back there and they can't even get up yet. It's just, it's just amazing. This God that we serve told him, said, this is what you're going to make for Aaron and his sons after him. And this is how they're going to come before me. So... <clears throat> That section there on the front, that's the breast place, the breast piece uh, that's put over him. And then there's this pocket where you'll see where it says that's where the Urim and the Thummim, the two stones that he had God, that God had them to use 
to help them figure out if it was basically a yes or no question if they had a if they had a problem that wasn't detailed out in the scriptures. Does that make sense? Um, so I wanted you to have that, and I wanted you to see this as we continue to talk about this because it's absolutely incredible. And so um, we're going to see that the, the turban and this crown that's on top of it uh, and these onyx stones you'll see up here that's on his shoulder. And that's what we want to get into next when we look at this. Um, if you'll turn the page, it says that in, in, in Exodus 28, verse 12, it says, And you shall set the two stones on the shoulder pieces of the ephod as stones of remembrance for the sons of Israel. And Aaron, watch this, Aaron shall bear their names before the Lord on his two shoulders for remembrance. So here's what, if you go back to that picture, uh, <clears throat> You've got the ephod, you've got the breast piece that's attached to it that has a pocket where the Urim and Thum go. Then there's these chains that go up and there's these rings and there's these two basically boxes made out of gold with filigree all over it. Inside the boxes are two precious stones and on each stone has six names, 12 total for all the names of the 12 tribes of Israel, and they're on his shoulders. And it says that he's going to come in and he's, look at this, he's carrying Israel on his shoulders before the Lord every time he comes before the Lord. Hallelujah. We don't get in there by ourselves, in other words. God carries us. And he carries us in there on his shoulders. The pictures we're going to see in here today, for me, it's just absolutely amazing. If you go down to the next verse in Exodus 28, verse 15, he says, And you shall make a breast piece, look at this, of judgment. It's the wordings that he uses throughout this is absolutely fascinating. He goes, in skilled work, in the style of the ephod, you shall make it. That's where you'll see where it wasn't one big, heavy piece of gold metal with stones in it because he says, you're to, you're to make this breast piece the same way you're going to make the ephod, which was woven, okay? And he says, uh, of gold, blue, and purple, and scarlet yarns, and fine twine linen, so this is the breast piece that's right here over his heart. We'll see that here in just a second. On the breast piece, it's called the breast piece of judgment. So throughout this whole process, when he's being ordained, commissioned to be a high priest before God, there's going to be sacrifices made and there's going to be blood splattered everywhere. This he's bringing the people of Israel, and it's a breast, place, breast piece of judgment because God's going to cleanse us through the sacrifice of His Son. Um, that's the part that's on His chest. So you'll see when you jump down to verse 29, it says, So Aaron shall bear the names of the sons of Israel in the breast piece of judgment, look at this, on his heart. 
That's why he wanted it put there. I've, over the years, I would see some of these pictures, and I'm thinking, that's got to be extremely uncomfortable. I mean, it looked like this big old metal thing and would be bouncing around or whatever, and I'm like, God, I don't understand what you're doing. I would just look at some of these and go, I, I, I kind of just don't get it. Uh, once again, because back then I was reading over these passages too quickly and not paying enough attention. He goes, um, he wanted him to wear the names of Israel on his heart. Does that give you a clue? Because he says that Israel is like, it's like the apple of his eye. He chose Israel out of all the other nations to be a special people, to be this incredible symbol that he is God and none, none other. And so he says, but there's got to be this judgment. Aaron's got to come before me. He's got to get consecrated, separated unto me, holy, pure. Um, and he's going to bring Israel before me, carrying Israel on his shoulders and Israel on his heart. Folks, that's what Jesus did. That's what he's doing. He's at the right hand of the Father right now, interceding for all of us. He's carrying us. Why? Because he has us on his heart. Isn't that beautiful? Um, it says when he, uh, he said, carry them, uh, bear their names, bear the names of the sons of Israel on the breastpiece of judgment on his heart when he goes into the holy place to bring them to regular remembrance before the Lord. It's like he's walking in going, remember God? Remember? 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 Like God needs to be reminded. Right? It's a remembrance for not only God, but for everybody. For everlasting. I think that's the part that's really cool. Uh, it says, and in the breast piece of judgment, you shall put the Urim and the Thummim, and they shall be on Aaron's heart. Um, when he goes in before the Lord, thus Aaron shall bear the judgment of the people of Israel on his heart before the Lord regularly. Wow. Um, can you imagine what Aaron had to be thinking when he's going, I'm going to go before God and I'm going to be carrying the sins of the people with me? You know anybody that's just cantankerous? <laughs> uh, as we continue to study this, we'll see how the people of Israel are just so much like us today. We're not any different than them at all. And they were just so cantankerous. It, I mean, that's why Moses didn't go into the promised land. He got mad at them. He goes out there and strikes the rock instead of speaking at it, you know, because he got tired of putting up with them. You know, 40 years and they're out there and they're just belly aching the whole time. There's still idol worship going on. There's, they're not perfect people out there in the wilderness. They, they are far, far from perfect. Why do you think God had to give them his word and write it down for them? Absolutely amazing. Um, so Aaron, he, you know, he had to be thinking, this is, this is going to be pretty rough. My goodness. Um, we can't even figure out how to get along. <clears throat> if you jump down in verse 36 through 38, it says, You shall make a plate of pure gold and engrave on it like the engraving of a signet, holy to the Lord. 
and you shall fasten it to the turban by a cord of blue. It shall be on the front of the turban. It shall be on Aaron's forehead. And Aaron shall bear any guilt from the holy things that the people of Israel consecrate as their holy gifts. It shall regularly be on his forehead that they may be accepted before the Lord. So if you go back to that picture again, Matt, <clears throat> he has the turban, but then there's this crown that's put on it over his forehead. And it's finally engraved as uh, like a jeweler would do it, a jeweler that's had it downloaded from God himself how to do it. Wow. And, and on that, it says, holy to the Lord. And so Aaron was supposed to wear this whenever he's bringing in these offerings and sacrifices, and it's to be on his forehead so that the gift will be accepted by God because it's stated right there on his head, this is holy unto the Lord. And the interesting thing is that that crown is attached uh, to the turban with this blue cord. It's the same blue cord, the shamash cord, that's to be put on the tzitzit that God told us to wear. Um, and that's what this crown represents. Isn't that amazing? And it's on God's, if you will, think of this as being Yeshua. It's on his mind. What were, was it we were told? You're to love the Lord your God with what? With all your heart, soul, mind, and strength? Wow. He says, and then love your neighbor as yourself because on this hangs all of the law and the prophets. Everything stems from this. And this is a picture of this. While we've got this up, it's not really in your notes, but you'll see down here at the bottom, he's to have these fringes and it's to be pomegranates and these golden bells hanging on his coat, which is over his linen pants and trousers. So the idea is people were silent when Aaron would go in there and they were always listening for the bells. There's all kinds of theories and folk tales and everything as to why uh, the bells are there. Um, but they did know that as long as they were hearing the bells, they knew that Aaron was still moving, that God hadn't killed him, that the sacrifices were accepted, meaning that they would be accepted. It's really uh, fascinating. Um, well, let's go on. Um, <clears throat> so when you get down to verse 29, this is where this really starts to get absolutely fascinating, is the consecration of the priests, of Aaron and his sons and those that would follow after. In verse 1 of chapter 29, it says, Now this is what you shall do, uh, you shall do to them to consecrate them, that they may serve me as priests. 
take one bull of the herd and two rams without blemish, and unleavened bread, unleavened cakes mixed with oil, and unleavened wafers smeared with oil, and you shall make them of fine wheat flour. So here's what we're going to see. This blood of a bull for the sins of all the people. Then there's going to be these two rams that are going to be uh, killed and sacrificed uh, to cleanse, if you will, Aaron and his sons. And then the other thing that's going to be used in this process is unleavened bread and oil. So we've got a picture here of the Holy Spirit, and we've got a picture of Yeshua as the bread of heaven, the manna, unleavened bread, without any leaven in it, without any sin in it, uh, and a sacrifice as he comes before the Lord. And the way they do that here in a minute, and we'll see this, is really awesome. Um, And so this is how they're going to be consecrated. Watch this. This is how they're dedicated and consecrated so that they will become a high priest. They're not a high, he's not a high priest yet. He's just Aaron. And not everybody from the tribe of Levi, you know, gets to do this. Um, you, You following me? So you had to, you had to actually be a descendant of Aaron to be able to be these priests and eventually maybe even a high priest uh, where you'd have the opportunity to go into the Holy of Holies. This is why during the time of Christ, it was so messed up because these guys weren't even Levites. And they were guys, in most cases, that had bought their way into becoming high priests or were appointed by a king. It was pretty messed up. Um. Look over in your next page here, of of page three, and this is where it gets really fascinating. It says, you shall take the other ram and Aaron. Obviously, I've skipped through here and skipped some of these details because I want to get to this part of this. It says, you shall take the other ram and Aaron and his sons shall lay their hands on the head of the ram. This is to make a connection, a personal connection to this ram that's about to give its life. And he goes, And you shall kill the ram and take part of its blood and put it on the tip of the right ear of Aaron and on the tips of the right ears of his sons and on the thumbs of their right hands and on the great toes of their right feet and throw the rest of the blood against the sides of the altar. Then you shall take part of the blood that is on the altar and of the anointing oil and sprinkle it on Aaron and his garments. Exactly. Um, And on his son's and his son's garments with him. He and his garments shall be holy and his sons and his sons' garments with him. Let's stop there for a second. So if you go back to this picture, sorry, I, he, there you go. You're going to make this absolutely stunning garment. 
Then you're going to have these sacrifices, and you're going to take some of this blood, and you're going to put it on Aaron's right earlobe. You're going to put it on his right thumb, and you're going to put it on his right toe. I want you to also notice something else. Nowhere in here does it describe shoes. All the priests that served God in the temple did so barefoot. Remember when Moses went on the mountain burning bush and he said, take off your shoes because you're standing on holy ground? Well, if you have shoes on, you have something man-made on that's holding you up. You don't come before God standing on anything man-made. You don't worship Him standing on anything of our own merit. We don't come before Him with anything of our own merit. We come before Him based on what God has done for us. And so, but the only way we can now come before Him because of what happened in the garden and subsequently because we've all done it, right, is through sacrifices so that it could be cleansed. So you have this beautiful garment and now there's oil and blood thrown on it. As a continual reminder of what it cost for this relationship to be restored. What was the cost for this? These are innocent animals on top of this. Yeshua was innocent. And he gave his life so that we could have an eternal access to God the Father. Hallelujah, amen. Um, then look what it says in verse 22. It says, You shall also take the fat from the ram and the fat of the tail and the fat of, that covers the entrails uh, and the long lobe of the liver and the two kidneys with the fat that is on them and the right thigh. For it is a ram of ordination. This is not what would happen every day. This is the special ram of ordination that after this happens, and this happens to these people, these people then become a high priest. You following that? There has to be an order. Something has to happen first before they can become a high priest. They have to dedicate themselves to God. They have to put on the right clothing. There has to be a sacrifice. The blood of the sacrifice has to get on them, and then they are consecrated by God to be a high priest. Folks, this is exactly what is described for us in Hebrews of what Jesus did. That after he did all of these things, he became our high priest. He was God in the flesh always. You following that? He was always God in God, and then he became flesh, but he's always been God. Then he takes on flesh. He does what God said, and then the blood, his own blood gets on him. It's after that that he's now commissioned to be the eternal high priest for all of us without end in the order of Melchizedek, the way it says it in Hebrews. You following that? And this is exactly what he's portraying here for all the people to see and watch this and participate in. They had to go and work at this. You have to stop it. They're in the wilderness. 
They had to go get olives. <laughs> you had to start getting down into the minutia. They're, okay, that, and then they had to beat it. Then they had to be particular, you know, about the oil that they're getting out of the olives. And the list goes on and on and on. Had to raise these animals. This, all this stuff didn't happen just overnight. And so they all had to participate in it. And then there were people weaving this stuff. There were people beating gold down into threads, for crying out loud, intertwining it within the, the threads themselves and making this absolutely beautiful, stunning outfit. You have stones with the names of Israel engraved on them, on their shoulders, in gold filigree boxes. Then each one of the stones that are on his chest, on the breast piece, each stone had the name of one of the tribes engraved on it. It was amazing. They had to, in other words, everybody got involved. They had to also build the tabernacle and all the furnishings and all that stuff. Uh, this took some time and effort and thought. And after all of this is when Aaron finally becomes, if you will, the high priest. Uh, and it's this ram of ordination. It says in verse 23, it says, And one loaf of bread and one cake of bread made with oil and one wafer out of the basket of unleavened bread that is before the Lord. Look at this. You shall put all these on the palms of Aaron and on the palms of his sons, oh my goodness, and wave them for a wave offering before the Lord, before Yahovah himself. Picture this now. He's going to have this blood thrown all over this garment. He's got blood on his ear, on his hand, his thumbs, and his feet. He's got unleavened bread and oil, and he's coming, he's going to come before, stand before the Lord, and he's going to wave this. Blood on his hands, blood on his feet, with oil and unleavened bread. And the blood of the sacrifice splattered all over him, with the oil also, if I think, depicting the Holy Spirit himself. And God, Yeshua himself, as the light of the world, it all intertwined together. And he's coming before God, waving it. Can't you just see Jesus walking into the heavenlies? Here I am, God, with my own blood. I'm paving the way for your people to be able to come here forever. And no devil, no demon, nobody is going to stop us from doing this beautiful thing. Absolutely. And this was something that they, they were all going to witness this thing happening. But watch this. There's something else fascinating here. He's going to dress like this. He's going to do all these things. And he's going to end up on Yom Kippur in the Holy of Holies. He's, he's going to go into the holy place and then into the Holy of Holies where the ark is that has the testimony, the covenant in there. 
99.99% of all Israel people, all Hebrew people, will not see that. You had to be a Levi to be able to even get into the holy place. You had to be the high priest to get into the holy of holies. Wow. But Yeshua has given us access right now into the holy of holies. Isn't that cool? When he died on the cross, what was it? What happened? The veil tore. We're going to talk about that, well, later, but I want to show you something as we close today that's just really cool. So we've got this picture of Jesus himself doing these things. We've got actually a picture of Aaron and the high priest the way they were supposed to do it. It didn't last long. We, are, we, we have bad memory as human beings. This is the way it was supposed to be. Uh, with a guy that's actually sold out to God and doing all the right things, and we're just sinful people just like they were and are, and, and we just constantly would get it all, all messed up. He's supposed to look like this, and when he would be consecrated, he would have this blood thrown on him and everything, and he would go before the Lord. Whenever a new high priest was ordained, this is what he was supposed to go through. The people were supposed to be seeing this over and over and over and over and over and over again. Um, was to be a, a witness. Well, when you jump down to verse 38, I want you to see something here. It says, Now this is what you shall offer on the altar, two lambs a year old, day by day regularly. Now we're talking about the daily sacrifice. All this is intertwined here, and you go, well, now that's fascinating. You're talking about Aaron and all this other stuff, and then all of a sudden now you've got this other thing here about this daily sacrifice. Look what it says. It says, One lamb you shall offer in the morning, the other lamb you shall offer at twilight, and with the first lamb a tenth measure of fine flour mixed with flour of a hen of beaten oil. There's that beaten oil again every day. So they had to have a lot of this, and they had to work at this and get this fine beaten oil to be part of this sacrificial system every morning and every evening. And a fourth of a hen of wine for a drink offering. The other lamb you shall offer at twilight and shall offer it with a grain offering and its drink offering as in the morning for a pleasing aroma of food offering to the Lord. It shall be a regular burnt offering throughout your generations at the entrance of the tent of meeting before the Lord where I will meet with you and speak to you there. There I will meet with the people of Israel, and it shall be sanctified, look at this, by what? By my glory. You're going to do all this work. You're going to do it exactly the way I tell you to. But it's not going to be sanctified because of what you did. Bless you. Twice. <laughs> You're going to do all these things, but then I'm going to sanctify it when I show up. When my glory, when my Shekinah glory comes and fills this place, that's what will sanctify the place, not your works. 
even if you're so skilled because God put the skill within you, that does not sanctify it. Are we clear on that? This is why when we say that we should follow the Torah, in other words, that it is still applicable to our lives where appropriate, none of that stuff sanctifies you. God sanctifies you through your obedience. The obedience is there. But you can't be thinking, okay, if I do all these things, then, you know, then I'm good. We're only good because Jesus is living in us. Not, nothing that we do can bring us glory or honor or goodness or salvation. It can't keep you saved. It can't make you saved. Are we clear on that? But we're supposed to do these things to be obedient, and then God shows up, and that's what brings the sanctification. That's what brings the, the purity. That's what brings the cleansing, not our actions. But that also doesn't mean, we, like Paul said, well, then do we just sin all the more that grace can abound the more? He goes, well, of course not. No. We're supposed to be obedient, but don't get caught up in what you're doing. It's about Him. It's all about Him. Uh, and then this is the daily sacrifice that's supposed to happen perpetually. The reason I wanted to highlight this is to remind you when we, just, when we studied Revelation and Daniel. The timing of the great tribulation, that three and a half period time, revolves around this sacrifice that will be stopped. So if you see the temple go up, that's only one of the signs. It's not the sign. You, you following me? When you see the sacrifices start, if you're alive and you see that happen in Israel, that is not the sign. It's a buildup, and you probably ought to have your bug out bag already ready. <laughs> I'm really not kidding uh, when that happens, because the guess is that it might last for about 30 to 45 days. But then those sacrifices will be stopped. It's this sacrifice that he's talking about here. And then in Daniel, it says that it's these mornings and evenings. It's, it's the morning and evening sacrifices that are stopped. And the people that God is particularly careful about during that tribulation period, especially there around Jerusalem, when it gets absolutely obliterated, he goes, you're going to kill everybody else there except those that are weeping over this. That's why understanding this is critically important especially if that pre-trib rapture thing don't pan out the way we've been told. Just saying. You need to understand this, and so when you see it, don't speak out against the Jewish people when they start the sacrifices. Jesus already died for us. You don't have to do that anymore. Uh, and then when you see the sacrifices stop, don't throw a party. Because the world will be throwing a party. Okay? God says to the angel... He says, you're to go there and you're to kill everybody in this area. And I think it's the area right around Jerusalem. And he says, except those that are mourning and weeping over what's happened in my sanctuary. And it's about this stopping. 
So in verse 42, it says, It shall be a regular burnt offering throughout your generations at the entrance of the tent of meeting before the Lord, where I will meet with you and I'll speak with you there. There I will meet with the people of Israel, and it shall be sanctified by my glory. Look at this. I will consecrate the tent of meeting and the altar. We don't consecrate anything. We give it to God. We give Him our best. We can separate something and want to give it to Him, but it doesn't become consecrated and holy and acceptable to Him until He accepts it. He's the one that does... They spend all of this time and effort to build the tabernacle, the temple, the altar, the, all this stuff, then God goes, but I'm going to be the one that's going to consecrate it, okay? It's not you. You're going to give it to me, but I'm going to be the one that's going to sanctify it. I'm going to be the one that's going to consecrate it. Aaron and his sons I will consecrate to serve me as peace, as priest. And I will dwell among the people of Israel and be their God. Now look at this. And they shall know that I am, let me read this correctly, and they shall know that I am Yahovah, their Elohim who brought them out of the land of Egypt, that I might dwell among them. I am Yahovah, their Elohim. Isn't that powerful? So I want you to see something. Okay, that was that offering that was supposed to happen. If you'll go to this next one, Matt, you got that picture. If you go back to your last page on your notes, you'll see the picture of this is the tabernacle the way it's laid out. There's only one way in and one way out. There's not multiple doors in and out of the tabernacle, and eventually it becomes the temple, which is built out of stone. So over here on the east is the entrance gate to get in. The sacrifices are, are done. The blood and everything is brought to the altar thrown on the altar, and if anything was supposed to be burnt, it would be burned on this altar. Then the priest would come to this bronze laver and wash. Then he would come in to this part called the holy, the holy place, and then this is called the holy, most holy place or holy of holies. This is where the veil is that tore when Yeshua died. It's in here that you have the menorah that would light this area, which Jesus is the light of the world. Then there would be a table that had bread on it. It was called the show bread because it wasn't really supposed to be eaten. It was to be there to show something, to be a display of something. And it was this unleavened bread in there made in these elaborate cakes and stacked up uh, on this table. Then you had this altar of incense. And this is where the priest would come and they would bring fire from the burnt off altar. They would bring it in here, mix it with these spices and put it on here continually to represent prayers before God. You following me? Then once a year, the high priest would come in. There would be nobody in the tabernacle when he would do that on Yom Kippur. There's nobody there. He comes in by himself, 
and he's not wearing, I mean, it's real uh, barren, if you will. And that's when he comes in here with incense from the prayers, getting this place full of incense and smoke, if you will, from the prayers. And that's when he starts sprinkling some of this blood on the Ark of the Testimony. Now, here's what I want you to see, and I put it on your notes here like this for a reason, because what you need to understand is that this is called the gate or the door. But specifically, there's a place to get in right here of these special curtains and everything, and it was called the door. It's called the door. Well, what was it that Jesus said right there in John 10, 9? I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved. The priest would go in there half the time he's scared to death. We'll get to it later. I mean, I already brought it up once, you know. Uh, Aaron's two oldest sons, they come and they bring in strange fire. They're on the coronation day to consecrate the tabernacle. It's the big event. It is day one, and they go stupid. <laughs> they, and they did something wrong. They brought in some strange fire. They, I don't know, they got in their head. They, they could do whatever they want. I, I don't know, we talked about that a few weeks ago. The other idea is that maybe they even did it drunk. That's why later when God's telling them about this, he says, Aaron, you need to shut your mouth. Don't say nothing. And by the way, when you're doing this, the priest is not, not supposed to be drinking any alcohol. So you need to have your wits about you when you're coming before the Lord. Amen. Uh, and that's where it happens. And God kills them. <clears throat> well, they would come in here scared to death. Well, Jesus goes, look. Can't you just see him now after you've got that picture now of the, the uniform? But Jesus is coming in as the uniform. And he's coming in through here and there's a sacrifice made first. And from the sacrifice, there's cleansing. After the cleansing, there's an opportunity to come through the door and have the light of God shine on us the light of His Word shine on us because of this unleavened bread because now there's no sinfulness and we're praying before God and have access to the very throne of God. As Yeshua is coming, the high priest is making this picture on the day He's consecrated, waving unleavened bread and oil with blood on His hands and feet like Jesus pierced in His hands and His feet He's got a crown on as Jesus had a crown put on him causing blood and there's blood splattered all over that uniform and Jesus comes into the very holy of holies in heaven. I'm here, Father. I did it. All of these people that you've chosen are now yours and guess what? The devil can't do anything about it. He can't do anything about it. Isn't that good news? Man, it's awesome. Now watch this. The Apostle Paul, I'm going to close with this. 
tells us in Romans 12, 1 and 2. It's one of the first verses I, I, I memorized. But he says, I, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. See, we don't have to die. Jesus already did that. He goes, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed. How? By the renewing of your mind, that by testing you may discern what the will of God is, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Paul, I think, is drawing on this picture. You have to understand, he studied to be a Pharisee. He was the elite of the elite. He understood all of these rituals. It was in his DNA. He understood all of this. And he's like, wow, we now have a perfect high priest that's fulfilled all of this. We don't have to die anymore, and we don't have to come before God fearful of being put to death. We don't have to come before him fearful that we've left something out because we didn't learn it right. We messed up somehow. Jesus did it perfect. Did Aaron's two sons that did it wrong, did they go to hell I don't think so. I don't, I don't think that's even a relevant question, right? They physically died because of something physically that was happening because God was trying to paint a physical picture for something that's going to happen in the future to them and in our past. Does that make sense? So now we don't have to worry about that part of it. We're going to make it into heaven and it's all going to be fine. And we don't have to worry about even here because Jesus has fulfilled all of it. And so Paul now says, you know what? Instead of actually dying like the animals, instead of actually dying like Jesus, present your bodies as a living, holy sacrifice to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And through that process, don't be conformed by the world, but transform your mind. And that through your testing and checking things out by the Word of God, you'll know what the will of God is for you and around you, which is good and perfect and acceptable. That's what he's saying there in Romans 12, 1 and 2. Isn't that cool? Because what? We've been called now to be a kingdom of priests. I don't think we really grasp that. I think because of the clergy laity junk, everybody goes, well, you know, you're the preacher. You're the, you're the anointed. You know, you're the prophet. You're, you're the guy. I'm just, you know, a shepherd <laughs> or whatever, you know. No. Wrong. Every one of you here in this room, if you believe in Yeshua as your Savior, you're a priest. When, you, when that really sinks in, and you actually believe that, that'll change the way you drive your car. It'll change the way you look at your wife or your husband or your kids. It'll change the way you lead your kids. It'll change the way you deal with your boss or employees or however that's working for you. When you really understand that you're a child of the king and a priest before God, and the priest was what? What was the job of the priest? 
the job of the priest and the high priest was to bring the people of Israel before God. What did Jesus do? He died on the cross, and it says he led captives up. He's bringing us before God with us on his breast, on his shoulder, on his heart, on his head. These are now holy and acceptable to you, God. I'm bringing you the perfect sacrifice. The priest was supposed to bring people before God. He was not supposed to be isolated. So what that means is our job isn't to just stay home, study our Bible or whatever, be good. We're supposed to be bringing people before God. And watch this. It's got to match our lifestyle. So if there's some things that need to change, it just needs to change. It's just that simple. And we can't be coming before God with worldly things and think that God is fine with that. That's the part in the church today that is absolutely mind-boggling that we literally say it's okay to do anything in the church if we can get people in the kingdom through doing that. Through the shenanigans that goes on, and I go... Is that glorifying God? They go, yeah, but look at this crowd, and we got people walking down the aisle. You can do that at a sales meeting. They teach people how to get people emotionally aroused to get them to walk an aisle. Not necessarily in seminary, but they're taught that. There are prominent pastors that have people in the church that prime the pump every Sunday. Sorry to burst your bubble, but it happens. There are large churches that have people on staff for one reason. They're to be out there evangelizing people, and they're to have them there. They have their rear end in a pew, and they'd better have somebody walk down that aisle. And they're going to come in on Monday, and they're going to report Bob and Joe and Sally. They're the ones I met on Wednesday. That, that's them. And they get a check off. Okay, you're still good. That happens. And they, the reasoning is it primes the pump and then people that feel led, you know, and the Holy Spirit's moving, you know, and then we get people down the aisle. And I go, so are those people even really saved? All I'm saying is we're supposed to be pre holy, priest, kingdom, people, coming before God and leading people to a holy God that, watch this, he don't play games. This is not a game. So we're bringing people holy before God and we need to be showing them that He's holy and He's pure and He wants them to have this incredibly great life. And it doesn't mean, oh, you get your get-out-of-jail card and you can go back to living you know, like the devil. That's not going to cut it. So Yeshua goes through all of this incredible stuff to bring us before God. And it's picture painted in this high priest and the, the priest Aaron's sons and their garments and everything that they were supposed to be doing. I used to read some of this stuff seriously. Even when I was in school and afterwards I go, God, why are you having them wave this stuff? What, what's the deal with the, the earlobe and the 
the thumb and the big toe and the blood and the stuff and some of it. You go, well, hmm. Well, what was it that Jesus that uh, we see in the New Testament where if you want to be a doulos, you take your earlobe and you have it pierced to what? The door where the blood gets on the door and on your earlobe where you become that person's servant for life by choice. <laughs> Which goes right back. And how did we close this? Let me go back and then I'll try to close today. Uh, he, all of this stuff, and he goes, why do this? You have to always look for the why. Why does God have them go through all this stuff? Why should we even care? Why should we study this? Why should we even think about it and have it apply or whatever? And he goes, I'm going to tell you why. He says in verse 46, that they may know that I am Yahweh, their God, who brought them out of the land of Egypt, that I may dwell among them. I am Yahweh, their God. He goes, this is why I want you to do all this stuff. So that you'll know that I am God. You'll know that I'm doing this stuff. When my son shows up, you should be able to go, oh, there it is. You know why they didn't do that? They had already corrupted the scriptures. They had already corrupted the meanings. They had already corrupted their junk. They had people in the high priest that weren't supposed to be high priests. They had people doing all this stuff for their own profit. It was a business and they had it going on. So when God shows up, they're like, and? He's another one of these crazy prophets. Just kill him. Let's go on, you know, because he's going to mess up our stuff. And the world didn't catch it. Folks, we've done the same thing. We've got all this worldly junk in the church and God's going to show up and nobody's going to know. Because they're told, no, you don't need to study this. They're told, it doesn't apply to you. It's okay for a pastor to hire pastors for one job to get people to walk an aisle so their numbers keep looking good. You didn't know that happened, but it does. Sorry. I'm on the other side just telling you. It happens. But I promise you before God, not on my watch. When I heard that stuff, I was like, that's the most insane thing I ever heard. And in places you would not believe. You would think, oh no. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. But everybody thinks, hey, we're just getting, by whatever means possible, we're getting people into the kingdom, so God's going to be happy with that. Yeah. It's fine. No, it's not fine. It is not okay. It's called dealing with people's emotions. You're getting people to emotionally do something that has nothing to do with what they really feel in their heart that they need to do. It's called real conviction of God himself. Anyways, got off onto my second sermon. Uh, <clears throat> this picture that we looked at today to me is just so beautiful. When I was looking at this, I got goosebumps looking at the picture of the, the, the tabernacle and envisioning 
Yeshua himself, not in a man-made garment, in his own garment, walking into the Holy of Holies, showing God the Father, here's the wounds, here's the blood. I made your name known to them. Look at my feet, look at my side, look at my hands. All of these that are calling upon my name and being engrafted into your people Israel, I'm bearing them on my heart and carrying them on my shoulders. And there is no devil in hell or any other place that's going to stop me from bringing these safely home to my Father. And I thought, hallelujah. What an absolutely powerful, beautiful picture of our Savior. Wow. Man, He loves you so much. So if we have that kind of a high priest, then tell me this. What are we afraid of? <laughs> right? Nothing. And He's called me to be a, a priest in His kingdom. He's called you to be a priest in His kingdom. I don't care if you're sitting at home working from home or if you're driving nails, digging ditches, coaching track people or, or whatever it is that you're doing. He's called you to be a, a priest in His kingdom showing people salvation is possible. A relationship with Him is possible. That's awesome. I guess we got work to do, amen?